Facebook folks. It looks like we are live and I'm totally stoked to be coming to you uh, from my workspace that I've got here at the home office. And <laughs> I actually just set the studio back up and I want to go ahead and open this page up here. I was actually going to uh, work from outside. I was going to put the camera out front, you know, do the whole zoom thing out in the front yard. Uh, it's been a nice light rain uh, all day, and I thought, well, I, I can I can shelter this thing. I can do this. It'll be really authentic, you know, no backdrops. It'll just be outside, and how cool will that be? And I got cold. <laughs> so about 10 or 15 minutes ago, I had everything set up out there, and I was like, oh, this is kind of cold. I don't know if I can sit still for 45 or 50 minutes and go over session seven of this great book, uh, Leadership by John C. Maxwell. Um, I am totally enthralled with this book. And in fact, what makes doing these mastermind sessions so awesome is like reading something for yourself is one thing, but reading something with the obligation to share it with other people and add value to other people, you know, it takes your own game, you know, up a level or two. And so I'm really, really stoked at some of the stuff that we are covering, especially this session. I know I say especially this session almost every time, but that's because each and every time I go over the content before I share with you, I kind of get re-excited about what it is. And uh, I invite you, uh, if you've got the time, if you've got the ability, jump in, let me know that you're here. Uh, I'm gonna refresh the page periodically and we'll see you know, what comments are and things like that. In fact, I'm gonna roll this tab over to the other screen so that hopefully, I'll be able to keep an eye on that with you guys. All right. Um, like I do every time, I want to make sure that we go over a couple of things that we already discussed in the book in case you're new to the sessions. Okay. When we started out, uh, first off, you know, why did I pick Leadership? Well, I picked Leadership because it was a book that John had written last year, published last year. I got it. I started reading it. I was about halfway through it. And when this COVID crisis broke out, I thought, this is something that speaks to me today. This is something that I believe uh, is something that leaders, not, and not just leaders like the bosses at work, but like leaders, people uh, you know, intrinsically designed to be leaders within their organizations or communities. They need to have what's in this book. Um, this book is about making changes, you know, changes required for growth. We all know that, right? They always say the best growth comes in, you know, when you get step out of your comfort zone. And so, you know, we hear these cliches, but this book really grasps, you know, grapples with the idea of making changes more quickly, keeping up with the demand of change, if that makes more sense. And so uh, when I started to cover this book, we covered why every leader needs to leadership. Uh, we went further and we said, how does someone go from being like a soloist to a conductor? It was that, that musical uh, comparison to leadership, right? Someone is a, an artist in their craft, right? Like how does Picasso teach, you know, a room full of artists how to make other masterpieces? It's that, that same kind of drive, right? What are the challenges in becoming someone that's a soloist to someone that's a conductor that's in charge of, of many people, right? And then after soloist to conductor, we talked about goals to growth. That was one that really jumped off the page to me. It was, and it was the difference like with the behavioral-based goals I keep mentioning that we have in the, in the Manana No Mas Academy, right? behavioral-based goals. It's the difference between saying, I want to lose 10 pounds to I'm going to make some changes to my diet to, to change my lifestyle to, to help with weight loss, right? 
They're totally different things. Uh, you have an action-based goal or you have a behavior-based goal. And behavior-based goals generally think in terms of long-term growth. So that was something that really jumped off. The next thing we covered after goals to growth was perks to price. Perks to price. What are the perks of leadership? And what are the sacrifices of leadership that it takes to enjoy those perks, right? And I was talking about how you want to focus on the price. You want to focus on the value that you add to people or the sacrifice you make as a leader before you focus on the perks, right? The perks are kind of the icing on the cake you get afterwards. Uh, pleasing people to challenging people. That was the next thing. That was session five. And pleasing people to challenging people I thought was interesting. I had a little bit of a struggle with it myself. Uh, and as I tried to describe it to, to you folks out there in the internet land, I felt like I struggled just a hair, uh, making it really, really clear. But when you're a leader, when you're a new leader, right, you, you, you have these, the, your first impression is I got to please everybody. Everybody on my team has to think I got my act together. You know, I want to give this guy the right days off. I want to give this guy the right assignments. I want to give this person, you know, the right shift to come in and out on. Um, and then you, you end up trying to please everybody. And in the end, nobody's pleased and you're not getting the productivity or the results that you need from the team that you're leading. Right. And so this section talked about, you know, you have to think about what's best for the individual, think about what's best for the company and lastly, what's best for you. Right. And so we discussed that, uh, and that was pleasing people to challenging people. That was a pretty long chapter. After that, we talked about maintaining to creating. That was the last session. And we talked about how certain members of management in a corporate setting, they might think of things of like, this is my little kingdom that I have to maintain. This is my little kingdom that I have to babysit, right? And then there's the difference between a manager and a leader. A leader is going to say, well, this might be my kingdom for now. How can I grow it? And how can we expand? And how can we get better and bigger and add more value to more people, right? Good leaders are always thinking in terms of multiplicity, right? Um, if I mentor one person or if I build myself, if I manage one person, I'm going to grow by this much. If I manage a team of people or I develop a team of leaders and those leaders mentor other leaders and everybody works on growing themselves up, well, then what you have is the theory of multiplicity over addition. And that's what, you know, should be the goal when you're looking at becoming a leader. And that takes us to ladder climbing to ladder building. And what do you think ladder climbing to ladder building is about? Well, it's kind of what we just talked about. It's the idea of multiplicity. How can you go from climbing the ladder of success to showing other people how to climb the ladder of success to showing people how to build their own ladders of success? And when they build their own ladders of success, guess what? They get to hold the ladder for the people they're working with to show them how to climb that ladder, right? And raise that ladder. So there's the four levels of ladder climbing to ladder building, which we will cover in this session. And uh, before I jump into that, I just wanted to take a moment and thank you all for being here. Uh, you know, we're six or seven minutes into this thing. I just want to take a moment. Thank you for jumping in. If you've jumped on for multiple sessions, kudos to you. Uh, I'm glad that you've got the bandwidth and the attention span to stick with it and go through this with me. I know that we're covering great content. And you know why I know we're covering great content? Because my LinkedIn feed is pulling up all kinds of people that are doing leadership masterminds all over the place now. And so it's become evident to me. Um, sometimes I jump ahead of things and I make decisions quickly and I start taking action right away. And sometimes I look at it and go, oh, 
well, I sure hope I did that right. You know, I don't want to feel like an idiot, but you know, you forge forward, right? That's what leaders do. Um, now that we're a few weeks into this crisis, I'm starting to see other masterminds popping up centered around this book. And so I'm not the only person that's seeing value in it. And I thank you for sticking it out and going with me on it. Uh, if you want to go and see other sessions that maybe you've missed or you missed a week or you've missed the first three sessions and you want to catch up, all of these are being saved and the replays are available in the free course on manananomas.com. So when you go to the, there goes my camera again. When you go to the manananomas.com website, at the top, you'll see a, a link that says Academy in the main menu. When you click on that, you'll be able to pick on the courses. And in courses, just select Leadership. It's free. In fact, uh, where it says Enroll, I think it says uh, uh, not a zilch nothing, right? Because I don't want to charge any money for this. Uh, in that uh, section, you will see uh, links on Amazon to buy the book. I've been told that Amazon has held up some shipping uh, for non-essential items because they're focusing on medical stuff right now. So if you order through Amazon, it might take a while to get it. So you might want to look at like Barnes and Noble or, or something like that. But it doesn't matter to me where you get your copy of the book because my goal from the beginning with this, uh, when the COVID crisis broke out, was I'm not in this to make money. I don't want to make a dime off of it. I just want to add value to the people that have the bandwidth to pay attention to what I'm talking about and to share this work with you. Okay. So if you get a copy of the book and you want to go through the sessions again with me, just jump into manananamas.com, academy, courses, pick the leadership course. It's free. Enroll in that and you'll be good to go. All right. Let's jump into chapter seven, ladder climbing to ladder building. And I'm a little down on caffeine today. So you're going to see me sucking down on this uh, rain total body fuel. I applied for a job with Monster Energy Drinks. And this is one of their brands. And I thought, you know, you got to try the product before you go and, and say it's a passion, right? And I ended up loving this stuff. So now I got a case of this stuff in the garage with me. Hmm. I love that stuff. All right. So uh, it starts out with a quote from Isaac Newton. If I have seen farther than others, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants. And that is a quote by Isaac Newton. Now, some would say Isaac Newton was a genius, right? Because we all heard about the theories of gravity and stuff like that, that Isaac Newton uh, developed. And so when we look at this, we say to ourselves, Isaac Newton, as humble as he was at the time, said, if I have seen farther than others, it is by standing on the shoulders of giants, right? His way of saying, I'm not the smartest guy in the room, right? Uh, if you go through this a little bit further, John starts talking about when he starts writing this, this chapter, he says, you know, I've always been a talker from the time I was a child through high school and college into my career as a pastor. That trait coupled with a desire to improve as a communicator and a degree of success and leadership landed me some big opportunities. And then he says, when I started these great opportunities for speaking gigs, my excitement was always mixed with fear. And I would ask how many of you feel that, right? Uh, if you are on Facebook right now, you know, throw up, you know, hearts or likes, right? And, and just let me know that you're there and say, you know what? I felt that before, right? Uh, I've had to do a public speaking thing. I had to stand up in third grade. I had to, you're kind of excited about it, but you're also filled with a little bit of fear. He says, my eagerness to get out and speak was often tempered by worry because of his lack of experience. And I'll tell you, when I started jumping into the leadership categories, you know, I had done some training in the past. I had worked with the Motorcycle Safety Foundation. I had taught people how to, 
you know, ride motorcycles. I had taught a road racing school, um, you know, and those are all things that are kind of like in your comfort zone, right? You have a passion for it and you think, well, I can get around the track pretty fast. So there's no reason why I can't show these guys, you know, how to do that. And so you think that and you think to yourself, well, I can totally do this. Well, then when you jump into something like leadership, that's more brain space for me. That's not physical space like racing a motorcycle, right? It's more brain space. It's like, uh, let me share with you what I read and what I think I know. And I'll try and share that wisdom with you to see if you can do it. And it's a little more intimidating for me. And so I can definitely identify with the idea of like, hey, I've been in the room. I've started giving the talk and I realize I might not really be qualified to give this talk. Uh, thankfully, over time, and I'll attest to this, sometimes, uh, this is what they say in the John Maxwell group, right? Uh, sometimes you got to jump off the cliff and build your wings on the way down, right? Sometimes, especially if you're in business for yourself, you know, a business owner might ask you to do a task or a service, and you'll think, I don't know how to do that. And you're like, well, sure. Yeah, we can do that. It'll cost this much. Have it done by Tuesday. And then you walk out of the room with your money and you go, okay, now I got to figure out how I'm going to get this thing done right? You don't overcommit and make a fool out of yourself, but everything's kind of a learning experience, right? And you get to kind of play as, as, you're, as you're working within it. So John goes through that, uh, through that a little bit, and he says that as he did more and more of these speaking engagements, the speakers were always very accepting of him, and that's because he participated. He put himself in the circle, in a circle that he didn't necessarily feel, you know, horribly qualified to be in, but he did it with a sense of humility and he came with an energy level and a level of participation that edified what people above him were doing, right? So he was basically looking for mentors to pour back into him to help bolster him, right? But he knew that he had to put in the work. You know, uh, <laughs> it's so funny. I love to read. And I got this book by Grant Cardone, just showed up today, read chapter one. And when you read the, the intro in chapter one, it talks about you got to do the work. And I'm constantly telling people that, like, hey, it's great that you have a great idea but you've got to put in the work. And this is what John's talking about here at the beginning of this chapter. And then he says, here's what I discovered. Uh, after I was done speaking, there was a lot of inspiration, but not a lot of application. I'll tell you, this I felt firsthand. When I was the trainer for Ducati North America, I would have people in for a week-long class. And you know, you're working with technicians, and you're saying, this is how you hold this special tool. This is how you turn this special tool. This is how you don't break this special tool. This is how you do this. This is how you do that. And there were some people that could take what you, what you went over in class, go back to their shops and produce and just, you know, eye on the ball, focused on, on personal development and just getting further and further and further in their craft. And then there's those who just kind of show up and wing it and hey, yeah, I'm kind of paying attention, but not really, right? Well, it says, here's what I discovered. After I was done speaking, there was a lot of inspiration but not a lot of application. People who heard me speak, they were glad they came, but they weren't sure what to do with anything I said when they got home. How many times have you been to a seminar? You've been to a rah-rah thing. You've been to a sales club. You've been to you know, an Amway meeting. You've been to something and people are all excited and, and you're at the event and people saying, I'm gonna go 10X this and I'm gonna go 10X. I'm looking at the book. I'm gonna go and grow this. I'm gonna grow that. I'm gonna accomplish all these things. And then, proof hits the pudding, nothing happens, right? Because they get home and life starts beating up on them again. And they get distracted by all the things that were holding them down in the first place. And so uh, I know that for me, when I looked at building Manana Nomasa's training site, I thought, how can I work with people 
and get more time with them, not just a two-day workshop or a one-week uh, you know, technician session. How could I work with them for months so that what we're talking about becomes habit and becomes actionable items instead of thoughts? And so that's why I wanted to have you know, something online that would back up what we did in the workshop. That way there's always the resource to go back to. That's where that blended learning example comes from with adult-centered learning that you see a lot of companies employing now, right? So it says time to make a change. We're on page 128, again, chapter seven. And he says, my focus was totally on myself. The experience was more about me than the people I was there to help, right? So when he says that, he says he was thinking about his subject matter, his stories, his points to make, his thoughts, his delivery. When he thought about the events that he was doing, it, he realized it was all about him. He wasn't thinking about the, the people he was supposedly there to help, okay? Um, he would ask himself questions like, how did I do? Did they like me? Did they like what I said? Did they clap for me? Were they impressed by my talent? Do they admire me? Now, these are all normal human things, right? And I think John's being really transparent that he writes it down like this and says it just the way it is. Um, he says, you know, he was more worried about what they thought of him than the message he put forward, right? So he realized he had to change that. So he realized that, you know, he felt exposed and saw the error of his ways and he had to make some changes. It, he says, it was wrong for me to try to gain fans. Instead, I needed to make friends. Now, uh, I'm going to go ahead and refresh the Facebook page here and see how many of you uh, are in here and see if I can ask this question. All right. So we got just over 40 people so far. And... How many of you, uh, you can use the like button uh, or, you know, you can hit the, the little hearts. How many of you have seen John Maxwell talk in person? Okay. First time I saw John Maxwell talk, he came out and I hadn't seen him before, so I didn't know what to expect. And he came out and he sat down at his chair and he had his little table next to him like he does. And he has his notes out, right? And he sit there and he goes, and he leans forward and he goes, well, good evening. I'm John Maxwell. I'm your friend. And I thought, what a cornball way to open up a talk. You know, because I was critical, right? I, I wasn't aware of the skill set or, or what he was setting up. And he ended up giving a fantabulous talk for about 45, 50 minutes. Um, I loved everything that he covered. I became, a, I became the fan right there, right? He said he wasn't trying to gain fans. He was trying to gain friends. And then every single time I entered the room with John after that, he started with, I'm John Maxwell, and I'm your friend. This is what we're going to talk about today. And, you know, so when I read that in the book, it's not, you know, it's not hoopla. It's, it's real stuff. It's, that's the way the man thinks. That's what he does every single time. So he says, uh, I always talk about his bullet points, right? So he wrote some bullet points there for us. And this is what he had to think of as he moved forward in this becoming friends instead of fans, right? It's not about me. It's about them. Success is not a standing ovation, right? It doesn't matter if people are freaking out and high-fiving each other and jumping over tables and chairs when you're done talking. What matters is if you make an impact on them and it makes a change in the way they do something, right? It says, my talk is not to help me look good. It's important, right? It's about the information you share and you share it in a way that makes sense or resonates or connects with people. Uh, it says, if they can't relate to what I say, I shouldn't say it. That's another one. I'd like to see you hit the like button or something like that. 
if they can't relate to what I want to say, I shouldn't say it. I've caught myself doing this. I'll be talking to a group of people in power sports and I'll be talking about something with bicycles or I'll be talking to, you know, somebody about cooking. I love to cook and I'll have an audience with, with people that are homemakers and they're talking about, you know, cooking this, that, and the other thing. And next thing you know, I'm talking about building a, a Ducati motor from scratch. That stuff doesn't make sense to that audience. Right. And so if, if they can't relate to what I'm saying, I probably shouldn't say it. If they can't apply what I say to their lives, I shouldn't say it. When I'm done, don't expect them to give me a hand. Invite them to come and shake my hand. I've seen the man do it. It's, it's so cool. He doesn't stand there and say, come on, bring it up, you know, applaud for me. No, he says, hey, you know, if anybody wants to come up and say hi, you know, I'm up here. I'll be here for a little bit. If you want to get your book signed, I'll be out in the hallway. And he's super friendly, gregarious, goes out and, and gets with the people. Uh, it says, when they walk away, hope they say, his name is John. He's my friend right? And that's the way I felt. I'll have to admit, not the first time, but the second or third time I saw him speak, I was like, this man's got a thing going. So I really enjoyed that. And I can see that happening. Remember when I opened the session and I said, we were going to talk about the, the four, uh, the, the four levels of climbing the ladder, climbing a ladder to building a ladder. So it says one is ladder climbing. And that's when you ask yourself, how high can I go? How high can I go? Maybe it's, uh, it doesn't have to be a job thing. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's something in a church organization. Maybe you're working with the scouts. Uh, maybe, I don't know, whatever. Um, but you start asking, you know, how high can I go? What level of success can I expect from the effort that I'm putting forward, right? And so that's ladder climbing. Ladder holding is a little different. That's the second one. Ladder holding. How high will others go with a little help. So I'm climbing the ladder and then how high can I get others to go if I give them just a little help, right? Then there's ladder extending, ladder extending. Okay. This is assuming everybody knows how a ladder works, right? I'm talking about the one that goes up against your house and it's got the levels that goes chick, 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 right. And it extends. So ladder extending, how high will others go with a lot of help, right? And that's when you're leveraging extra tools or, 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 individual mentorship with people, right? So it's talking about, you know, an extended amount of help to get someone, you know, extended, right? How far can you stretch somebody, right? And then ladder building. I like ladder building. How can I help them build their own ladder, right? When I work with people in a corporate atmosphere, I'm always thinking who on this team could replace me if I got hit by a bus. And then I start working with that person to try and get them you know, up to speed or at least thinking in bigger terms than just what their position is, right? If you're leading a team of people, you know, think about the soloist to conductor example, right? You know, somebody might only be thinking about saxophone, 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 but if you're the conductor, you got to be thinking, you know, brass, woodwinds, percussion, you got to be thinking about all these things. And so you want to find someone that you think has the potential to think of all those elements. And then you want to slowly, you know, build them up and work on that, right? You want to mentor them to get to that level. So ladder climbing, ladder holding, ladder extending, ladder building. Hold it this way. That way you can see it. Ah, all right. So it says this leadership is about changing from being a personal producer to an equipper of others. It's a shift that takes your leadership math from addition to multiplication. That's what I said at the very beginning, right? You want to get to a point in your leadership where you are building teams of people rather than just building individuals one at a time. Okay. 
So ladder stages, one, ladder climbing, how high can I go? The things you wanna consider with the first stage of ladder climbing, how high can I go, is you know, what are my strengths and what are my opportunities, right? That's uh, page 131. You ever heard of a SWOT, uh, a SWOT report, right? Uh, strengths, opportunities, you know, all these things that, that are on a SWOT report, right? It's like a pluses and minus thing that HR people use. Well, strengths and opportunities are two elements of the SWOT report, right? It says the hardest challenge of getting to the top of the ladder was getting through the crowd at the bottom. That's a quote by Glenn Turner. Now, what does that remind you of when you hear the hardest challenge of getting to the top of the ladder was getting through the crowd at the bottom? Soon as I read that, I thought about the whole crabs in a bucket thing, right? Every time a crab gets up near the top of the bucket, the other crabs pull them back down. So it's, it's, you have to make yourself different. You have to put in more effort, more energy, you know, more concentration to get, you know, to elevate yourself past the masses to break through and start getting up that ladder, right? And then you focus on what are my strengths? What are my opportunities, right? Next thing you say, am I taking steps every day? That's important. That comes down to consistency, right? Leadership is so much about consistency. It says, when you seize an opportunity and apply your strengths to it, you still have to do the work. If you can't answer yes to the question of whether you take steps every day, you won't succeed, and you'll have to forget about taking the next step towards becoming a ladder builder. And it says, how high do you need to climb? It's a great question. It comes up in every book. This book starts out with, what are your goals, and how high are your goals, and, and, how, and how far can you see yourself you know, finding success, right? Uh, so it says here, how high do you need to climb? Great, great question. My answer is you need to climb to the top 10%. So whatever group, whatever uh, affiliation you're in, John's saying here, you want to get to the top 10%. That's the magic number. That's where you become set apart from all the rest in areas of money, influence, opportunity, and relationships. That's important. There's a certain point and I've noticed this myself, there's a certain point where it feels like you're struggling to get started. It feels like you're putting in all this work and you're not seeing a return on in your investment, right? And this is where a lot of people begin to quit. This is where, you know, we talk about the five levels of leadership that I brought up before, right? And so you, you get to a certain level, you're putting in all this work and you're kind of in the masses, but you're kind of like half a step up, right? And, and you're putting in all this work and, and you feel like you're really putting yourself on the line and you're not getting the reward or you're not getting the return on investment that you feel you should be getting. And you're this close to success. Don't give up right there. Don't give up. Push, push, push. Get to that next level. Because once you burst through, your audience changes. People begin to pay attention to what you're doing. Uh, I have jumped on LinkedIn recently and I've begun friending a lot of people, right? Making connections with a lot of different people. And you know, a few years ago, I might have been connecting with other service writers, service managers, technicians, you know, people like that, maybe trainers within the industry, things like that. And now I've got CEOs of major corporations that are beginning to connect to me. And that's because I've put in the work, I've built a reputation, and I've built content consistently that's beginning to get the attention of some power players out there that can make a difference for me. Um, it's not about what's in it for me, right? Because it's like, I wanted to add the value. I want to find success. I want all these things to happen, but I got to add value and be consistent along the way. And I hope that I'm communicating that in a way that, that just really resonates, right? 
So you have to put in the work and you have to burst through that bottom level. And once you burst through, then you start to, you know, you can, it's like getting your head above the clouds. If you've ever uh, been motorcycling or hiking and you get above, you know, tree line uh, on a mountain and then you get above cloud level and everything clears up and you can see forever, it's kind of like that, right? It's like you get up and you all of a sudden you can see everything and you're like, okay, things are clear. Now I can move forward. And moving forward at that point seems to take a lot less effort and a lot less energy. You still have to be just as committed and you have to set your goals even higher than they were set before, but it doesn't take the same you know, brow beating, like beaten animal feeling of like, I'm not getting anywhere. It feels like, wow, this is working. And when you get that feeling, it's not work anymore. Then it becomes a game. It becomes fun, right? So you're taking the steps every day. This goes into all the bullet points at the bottom. And a lot of them I probably already covered with my little rant. It says, make sure your ladder is on a firm foundation of integrity and strong character. All the success in the world isn't worth it if you compromise your core belief system right? Make sure your ladder is leaning against the right building for your purpose, right? You've all heard that joke, right? Sucks climbing the ladder of success to find out it was leaning against the wrong building, right? Never step on other people while climbing up. That's because you might need those people later, right? You definitely don't want to make a fool of yourself climbing up and then realize you got to, you know, give a hand up to somebody that you stepped on before. Uh, don't skip any rungs of the ladder. This is, this is kind of important You'll read contradictory things from other people at other times. Some people say, well, this is how you skip to the front of the line, or this is how, you know, but what John's saying here is do the work, be consistent, don't skip rungs of the ladder, don't take the shortcuts, put in your dues and, and get there organically so that it's solid, right? Talking about that, building your ladder on, on a firm foundation of integrity and strong character. That's part of that. Don't take shortcuts. Uh, step back down occasionally to rest, reflect, and gain perspective. <sighs> Some of you that have been following for a while know that I'm recuperating from a broken collarbone. The week that I broke my collarbone was the week that Suzuki had layoffs. I lost my job. And then I hit the ground running. I had offers the very next day if I wanted to, you know, have a three-hour commute to get somewhere in Southern California. It was, and I was, it was frantic. It was, I was calling people, people were calling me, there were emails going back and forth, social media was going crazy. There just seemed to be a frenzy. Pardon me, energy drinks working. Uh, and then uh, that Friday, I actually went to bed and I said a prayer. I said, you know, Lord, please slow this down for me. I feel like too much is going on, too much is happening. I need to, I need to back down so I can survey what's in front of me, so I can make a smart decision over a quick decision. The very next day, I went out mountain biking with my friends to try and relax, and I snapped my collarbone, right? So that was a definite way that God answered my prayers and said, hey, you, sit down, take a time out, and figure things out. And so glad that that's the way that that happened. I mean, do I like being in pain? No. But do I like the idea that life gave me the opportunity to slow down, survey my environment, and then begin stepping back and being able to make smarter decisions over quicker decisions. Absolutely. It's exactly what I wanted to have happen. Don't step on anyone while descending either. Each time you start to climb back up, make sure you improve. That's important. And then always value the people who are holding the ladder for you. This is important because we're talking about ladder holding, you know, coming up. Step two, ladder holding. How will others, how high will others go with a little help? So here's the idea. You're trying to climb the ladder on the way up, right? The theory is other people, more experienced people, more seasoned individuals, 
they're holding the ladder for you, right? They're holding it steady so you can make your way up that ladder. Now, eventually, you're going to need to hold the ladder, and you're going to have to steady the ladder for other people to come up, okay? So, and this kind of, in a way, when I read this, I thought, is this contradicting what we read about the leadership dance? Is this contradicting the idea of lead forward, then come back with people, then step back, give them a push, you know, so they can get up the hill, then go back and lead again? Like, you don't want to get to the top of the mountain all by yourself and say it's rough at the top and have nobody around, right? You want to make sure you bring people with you. Um, it, so it says here, you got to climb the ladder before you can bring people with you. And so it's important you're leading. You don't want to get too far out in front of people, right? You want to make sure you bring people with you, but you still have to lead, right? And as you're climbing your ladder, hopefully there's mentors that are holding the ladder steady for you. And then as you get to that level, you hold the ladder for people coming up behind you, right? It says leaders should want far more for their people than from their people. Super, super important. When I was in the corporate environment, I would look for ways to get my people into training. And, you know, I was a training manager, so obviously I was, I was gravitating towards training. But it didn't even necessarily have to be like what I thought was cool, right? But I wanted the people in my team to have access to training and personal development and to know that they were being invested in. And, and that to me is huge. Leaders should want far more for their people than from their people. And, you know, when you lead a team, you're still responsible for productivity and, and making sure efficiency happens and all that. But you want to make sure that you're pouring into your people as you go. I'm on page 134 now. We're still in chapter seven. It says ladder holding. And then, so these are the elements of ladder holding. Ladder holding begins with a serving attitude. It says our chief want in life is somebody who shall make us do what we can. That one jumped off the page to me. I can't tell you how many times, and that's a quote from uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. I didn't make it up. John didn't make it up, right? Ralph Waldo Emerson said, our chief want in life is somebody who shall make us do what we can. I can't tell you how many times, corporate environment, Boy Scouts, uh, you know, working with the youth group at church, I can't tell you how many times I have laid out expectations for a group of younger individuals and then watched them go after whatever that was. You set the expectation, they do it, right? And so it's like our chief want in life is somebody who shall make us do what we can. Don't let people sell themselves short, right? If you know they have the potential and you know they have the ability and you give them the means to accomplish it, you know, push them in that direction, right? And that's part of that ladder holding is, is get them to motivate, right? Ladder holding requires availability. You got to make yourself available to your team. Now, we talked about that 80-20 rule earlier, right? So remember, 20% um, of your team is doing 80% of the work, that Pareto principle. So you want to make sure you delegate your time correctly, but you want to make sure that you make yourself available to your team in general, right? Ladder holding attracts people that want to climb. If you're showing people that you're willing to hold the ladder for them and help them find success, well then, obviously, people that want to climb that, be, that want to find success, that want to pursue, you know, the better things and, and follow your example, you're going to attract those people. It says ladder holding is a pre-qualifier for discovering a person's potential. This is important. If you're thinking about mentoring people, you want to have some kind of a yardstick to measure them with, you know, and this whole, are you, is this guy giving me a test? Yeah. It's not like, you know, you're testing everybody. You are, but you know, it's not your job to test everybody, right? 
But if there's someone that you think is a candidate to be mentored by you, you want to have some way of looking at that individual, right? Objectively and going, is this somebody that I can afford to invest my time in, right? And so you say, this is a pre-qualifier for identifying their potential, right? Ladder holding is a way to you know, kind of hold the ladder for them, see if they can find success, see if they can follow your example. And if they pursue you with vigor, then maybe that's somebody that you can invest in, spend some time with. It says ladder holding over time multiplies the effectiveness. And that's absolutely true. The more people you help get up the ladder, the more they can, you know, discern or disseminate that knowledge to the people beneath them. And so that's part of that multiplicity that we talked about earlier. Uh, it says here, my friend Chris Hodges said, a dream is a compelling vision you see in your heart that is too big to accomplish without the help of others. I'm a dreamer. People that know me in real life know that I'm a dreamer. My mind is always thinking about, wow, wouldn't it be cool if, wouldn't it be cool if, wouldn't it be cool if, but you can't accomplish all these dreams by yourself. And so uh, a dream is a compelling vision you see in your heart that is too big to accomplish without the help of others. And by holding the ladder and letting other people come with you for the ride, you are growing that team of people that can help you accomplish your dreams. It's amazing. Okay. Ladder extending. This is the third part, right? Remember there's four parts of, of ladder, right? From, from climbing the ladder to building the ladder. There are four ways to do that. Four levels. This is the third level. Ladder extending. It says, how high will others go with a lot of help? The next step in the process is to extend the ladder for others. When you do that, you empower them to climb higher and go to entirely new levels. How do you do that? It's a great question. By mentorship, right? So it says, by intentionally and strategically mentoring them. And then I thought, I was being smart, I put, well, what is mentorship, right? I'm making notes in my book for myself. I'm going, well, what's mentorship? What is John going to describe as qualifying mentorship? And before we go headlong into this, I want to be really, really clear for folks that might be in the audience or in the, you know, in the group out there. Mentorship has a lot of different definitions. And it's super, super important that the mentor and the mentee have an understanding of what they both believe mentorship is. Mentorship has to be agreed upon by both parties or it doesn't really exist. To call somebody your mentor and they don't have the time of day for you, that's not really a mentor, right? Unless you're kind of learning what not to do. You want to make sure that your mentor is someone that asks you questions, right? So your mentor is someone that is curious, that's asking you questions, that's helping you develop, work on your critical thinking, right? Uh, so you want to make sure that you focus on that. If you're a mentee or you've put yourself in a mentee position, and you assume somebody is your mentor, you have assumed incorrectly. And if you are a mentee and you're waiting for your mentor to approach you or to uh, disseminate knowledge on you um, just ad hoc, uh, you're also mistaken, right? As the mentee, it's your responsibility to seek the knowledge which you need and to have a humble hat in hand relationship with your mentor. It's also the mentor's, pardon me again, it's almost the mentor's position, you know, to be humble enough to meet the mentee where they're at, right? So it, it's a give and take relationship, but really, really clear. I wanted to make sure that I put that out there, that if, if you're jumping into these mentor type relationships or you think you have a mentor relationship, you might really want to take a, a, a more analytic look at that and make sure that that's something that you really are experiencing, okay? So here's what John starts talking about on page 136. 
He says, ladder extenders are successful. So that's important, right? If somebody is, it's one thing to hold the ladder, okay, and have people climbing up. I'm holding the ladder, right? It's a totally different thing to extend the ladder and tell people, up there, that's how I did it, right? So you want to make sure that if you're following somebody and they're acting like they're going to extend the ladder for you, you want to make sure that they're successful. It says, since the word mentor is both a verb and something you do, a noun, <clears throat> since, a, since, a men, since the word mentor is both a verb, something you do, and a noun, something you are, a good mentor must exhibit ability in both areas. Amen, hallelujah, right? Uh, they, they don't only have to be the mentor, they have to physically, actively mentor you. That's super, super huge. And I'll be honest with you, I would love to call John Maxwell my mentor, but writing books ain't enough, right? Like a mentor is someone that you need to have interaction with, someone that, that you have a personal connection to. Uh, ladder extenders are specialists. Another very important thing. If you want to call somebody your mentor in life, right? And you want to, you expect that mentor to lay to you wisdom has to do with relationship, finances, faith, business, inventory control, uh, you know, uh, physical, uh, abilities, right? Like, like a personal, uh, personal trainer. Um, you have put way too much on the shoulders of this supposed mentor, right? You need to find mentors that are excellent in each of those disciplines. So if you want to have a personal trainer that mentors you for physical health and well-being, that's great. If you want to have a personal mentor, uh, for your faith experience. That's great. If you don't have a personal mentor for business experience, you get what I'm saying, right? So ladder extenders are specialists. And then it says ladder extenders are mature. And we make this assumption, but I want to make sure that we're kind of clear about it. So maybe let's say I actually have an experience where I mentor someone that's older than me and I mentor them in some, some business processes. Okay, so, but we have a really interesting relationship because they're more mature than I am and they have a lot more life experience and they're actually, I think, further along in their faith walk than I am and they're certainly further along financially than I am, right? So talk about specificity. Is that a word, specificity? So let's talk about that, right? I've got an area where I can help this gentleman, but he's got like three areas that he can help me in. And so that makes a really good relationship for us. And he's more mature than I am. He's, he's got more time in the game. He's older. He's got more time in business, more time with working with banks. And so he's got a lot more experience in that area, right? John goes through the bullet points here and he says, ladder extenders are mature. And here are the bullets. The ability to make decisions based on the big picture, not just the immediate one. Brings me to another sidebar. I just reached out to this guy today, uh, Kevin Cope. Great guy. Great guy. Uh, if you don't already follow him on LinkedIn, follow him on LinkedIn. Uh, they do a business called Acumen Learning, and it's all about business and seeing the big picture in business using a uh, five different drivers. And so I'm hoping that I get permission from Kevin to cover his book in these masterminds. But whether he gives me permission or not, uh, it's not going to stop me from recommending the book. He's fantastic. And I know him personally. We met and I think he's a great guy. And so I'm super excited about that. But seeing the big picture, I got distracted, right? The ability to make decisions based on the big picture, not just the immediate one. Next bullet, the capacity to face unpleasantness and frustration. Yep, you got to be able to face it head on. 
the choice to live up to responsibility and do the right thing, not the convenient thing. Uh, that came up for me in a work environment not too long ago. I was being asked to do some things and leverage people in a way that I didn't think was right. And uh, I basically just had to say, that ain't right. That ain't going to work. That ain't going to fly. I realize you're my boss, but I can't go to my people with that request. I don't think that's ethical. I don't think that's fair. And I don't think we can do that. And, you know, sometimes you really got to monitor how you do these things because the results can be painful, but, you know, you got to, you got to be good to yourself. You got to do the right thing, not the convenient thing, right? The willingness to stick with a task. That's the fourth bullet down. The willingness to stick with a task. Uh, fifth one, the discipline to harness abilities and energies to do more than what is expected, right? Exceed expectations. The ability to take a difficult information and keep things confidential. Confidentiality is a tough one, you know, especially when you're working with a lot of different clients, a lot of different situations. There's times where I might be uh, and this is transparent talking about my professional life. I'm in the power sports industry and I might be negotiating with, uh, Indian BRP triumph KTM and these companies, uh, you know, inadvertently they will say, well, well, how does so-and-so do it? How does so-and-so do it? And you want to be smart. You want to be the smartest guy in the room. You want to give up all the answers, but you can't right? confidentiality is important. And just because someone asks you a question doesn't necessarily mean that you're in a position to share. That's super, super important. The ability to make, to take in difficult information and keep things confidential. Remember that last section we talked about, you always have to think of the company first, and then the individuals that you lead, and then yourself last, right? Uh, next bullet, the openness to share personal difficulties when appropriate and helpful. Hopefully what I just shared made sense to you. And uh, the last one is the compassion to connect with others without trying to correct them. And compassion is something that some folks struggle with. A lot of A-type personality leaders may struggle with that. And uh, it's just because they see things plain as day. They, they, they just see it. And, and it's frustrating when, when other people don't see it, right? And so it can be hard to have that compassion sometimes. Let's jump over. And I'm looking at the time. We're still good on time, folks. I'm not heading over. We're on track. Page 138 talks about ladder extenders are practiced in the art of asking great questions. That's something I'm still working on. I struggle with that. I struggle with asking the right questions. In fact, I think this is the first mastermind presentation where I said, hey, you know, put up your hand or, or hit, the, hit the like button if this has happened to you, right? Trying to get your interaction and make things happen, asking the right questions. It says good mentors don't jump to conclusions, right? So you want to make sure that you ask questions. Then you want to make sure that you listen. Ask the question, listen for the response. Ask follow-up questions, right? Drive down to the heart of something, drive to the meat of something. When you're mentoring somebody and you ask them a question, especially if it's a, a difficult area where you're really trying to work with them and develop them, chances are they're not gonna give you a transparent response first time. So you need to ask follow-up questions and then you need to learn about them, learn more about the situation, really take it in and think it over and then you lead, right? And this last part says lead. Now I'm ready to challenge, encourage, and coach them to their potential. I can't coach someone to their potential until I ask them the questions, listen to the responses, and get their and follow-up questions and learn more about them. Once I understand how somebody's hardwired, then I can adjust and work with them and develop them in a way that suits their needs best, right? Takes us over to page 139. It says, if you are working with a mentor and the person isn't asking you any questions, be aware that he or she may not be able to take you very far in the process. 
I said that five minutes ago, but it's written here by John, so it must be right. <laughs> it says, if you are working with a mentor and the person isn't asking you any questions, be aware that he or she may not be able to take you very far in the process. And then it talks about the humbleness of ladder extenders, right? You want to make sure that as you're mentoring people, you're humble enough to be able to get to their level and mentor them and, and be with them face to face, eye to eye, and have it make sense, right? Um, I expect the mentee to come to me hat in hand with humility and look for growth and development. And I, I need to be humble myself in how I share my experiences and my knowledge with that person. I never want to belittle that person to share the knowledge with them. I always want to add value to them along the way. That's what they're talking about there. Now, the fourth level, remember I said there was four levels. The fourth level is ladder building. Can I help them build their own ladder? Now, this whole thing, you know, when John writes a chapter in a book, like one's about, you know, concerts, right? Soloist to conductor. Uh, and then he does things about farming. And then he, now this one's talking totally about using a ladder, right? Um, so stick, stick with the metaphor, right? Can I help them build their own ladder? Think about what's happening. First, you climb the ladder, right? And as you get higher up the ladder, you need help. So someone holds the ladder for you so you can get to the higher level. When you get to that higher level, you hold the ladder for other people so they can come up, right? Then you want to be a leader again. You want to extend the ladder and start showing people how to get up it, right? So I extend the ladder and I'm like, okay, it's that way. That's how you do that. And then eventually you want to get to where you have your own ladder to hand out and you go, here's your ladder. You go build people now. And that's that multiplicity thing. That's how that happens. That's how leaders develop teams of leaders, right? So it says, once you've climbed the ladder of success yourself, begun to hold it for others, and then learned how to extend it uh, for emerging leaders by mentoring them, there's still another level you can go to as a developer of people. You can become the ladder builder. One of the best ladder building leaders I know is Sam Chand, and he talks about the books that Sam Chand has published. It says, who's holding your ladder, what's shaking your ladder, and who moved your ladder? And it talks about that stuff right there. It says on page 140, it is my joy in the season of life to focus on ladder building. Remember, John's mid-70s, right? I should probably say early 70s. That'll make him feel better if he's watching this. I sure hope he's not watching this. Eh, maybe I do hope he's watching it. Maybe you'll share it with him. Anyway, it says, it is my joy in the season of life to focus on ladder building. For the last 20 years, my nonprofit organizations, Equip and the John Maxwell Leadership Foundation, have trained leaders around the world so they are equipped to build their own ladders. And for almost a decade, we've been able to give thousands of coaches around the world a platform on the John Maxwell team. That's what I'm a member of. I'm on the John Maxwell team, right? It says the training and support they receive empowers them to build their own ladders by starting or improving their careers as coaches, trainers, and speakers. And the best thing about it is the ladder building has no limitations imposed. People can build and climb as high as their talent and work ethic will take them. I have to say, I find it very rewarding to kick leaders out of the nest and watch them succeed. And I do feel like I was kind of kicked out of the nest and told to go succeed, right? And what's cool about it is stuff you learn with leadership, you can apply to any industry. Are you in healthcare? Are you in power sports and marine like me? Are you in bicycle? Are you in physical fitness? Are you, you know, uh, manufacturing? All of these things take leadership skills. And whether you go down the Six Sigma route, you go, you know, the lean route, you go all these other routes that there are, um, leadership training in general 
uh, is something that you should always have an appetite for because it helps you not only to build yourself, but to build the teams that you affect, right? So it says here, do I develop leaders to benefit others, not just for myself? Do I relinquish control and give other leaders the freedom to be themselves and develop their own processes? Am I happy for a leader I help move on without me or to enlist other mentors? That's quick, like that's interesting, right? You get jealous when someone else wants to help someone you've already helped, right? Am I happy for a leader I help to move on without me or enlist other mentors? You got to let people get multiple mentors to fit those multiple niches of their life, right? Am I willing to help other leaders build their own ladders and then genuinely root for them, right? I get happy when I see other people succeed. When I saw other people putting up masterminds based on this book all over LinkedIn this week, I was like, rock on, man. Good for you. I'm glad you see it. I'm glad that you want to do this. You know, and I hope their audience is 10 times bigger than mine because I'll be honest with you, uh, I need you folks to share this more. <laughs> uh, the audience continues to grow, but it's not, it's not huge, right? And so if everybody's got their own little segment or their own little niche of people that they're working with, those are people that are ladder extending, right? And that's so, so cool. And then it says, am I willing to keep helping many leaders build their own ladders without expecting to receive any credit? And that's awesome. If you guys watch everything on the Manana Nomas training site, if you consume all of my content and then you go out and build your own leadership platform, it's fantastic. I don't even need to know about it. You know, what I wanted to accomplish is done. I added value to you. And that's the way John looks at this, right? I've been through the John Maxwell team training and now off you go. Go find your success. Go work in your industry and extend yourself to them. And that's what I try to do. Page 141, questions to ask before you mentor somebody. Uh, and we've got about 10 minutes left, so I'm going to go through this pretty quick. But this is important, right? Because your time is valuable. And you want to make sure that before you give your time up to somebody that they've established, not value, because everyone has value, right? But you want to make sure that they've established the tendencies it takes to accept your mentorship and, and to make your time a worthy investment, okay? Hopefully I said that in a way that doesn't talk down to folks. That's good, okay? Andy Stanley often says, do for one what you wish you could do for many. That's great advice. So if I pick somebody that I'm gonna invest my time in, I gotta make sure that's someone that has the capacity as if I'm working with a group of people, right? I wanna make sure that I, I give that person everything I got. So one, is this person hungry to learn? Honest question. Is this person hungry to learn? And I'll tell you, I, I put a note in here. I said, be careful. Hungry and teachable don't always line up. I wrote that right there in the, in the, in the margins. Be careful. Hungry and teachable don't always line up. I know a lot of people that are hungry. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. I would, and then I say, okay, fine. Do A, B, and C. And then two weeks later, I'm like, how's A, B, and C coming? Okay, now, how about now? You know, I've got people in my power sports training module. I gave homework to a month ago and I haven't seen the homework come back yet. You know, and I get it, we're in a COVID crisis, there's things going on, there's all kinds of distractions. But you know, week after week, I'm like, hey, let's postpone this meeting because you don't have your homework done. Well, at a certain point, we're gonna come to diminishing returns, right? Where there's no value for me or value for them to maintain that relationship. If nobody's moving forward, there's no reason to continue. You need to backfill that void with someone that's teachable. So is this person hungry to learn? Uh, two, what is this person's capacity? So even if they're hungry to learn, do they have the capacity for what I'm going to teach? Do they have the ability to jump in and get her done, right? 
So what's their energy capacity, emotional capacity, thinking capacity, people capacity, creative capacity? I'm out of fingers. Production capacity, leadership capacity. There's seven things there, right? And what John says is he wants to make sure that someone is qualified in all seven before he spends time with them as a mentor. So that's probably pretty important, right? So there's seven things. Energy capacity, emotional capacity, thinking capacity, people capacity, creative capacity, production capacity, put it over there so you can see it, and leadership capacity, their ability to lift and lead others, right? Third, are this person's values compatible with mine? I run into this a lot. Um, you know, sometimes my uh, people around me, they'll say, well, you just expect too much from people. It's not that I expect too much from people. It's I know what I expect from myself. And if I'm going to invest in somebody at a personal level, well, then I'm going to expect the same from that person. So it's not that I'm expecting too much. It's if somebody wants to join me on the ride, on, the, on, the, on this climb up this ladder, somebody says, man, I want to do what you're doing. I want to jump in. I want to be on your team. I want to this. Okay, great. If you really, really, really want to do that, that's going to take some work, some effort, and some commitment. Remember what John talked about earlier in the book when he said, you know, ask for commitment, and then you choose, you know, who's got commitment and who doesn't, and that's who you invest in, right? And so I look at that quite a bit. Now, is this individual a leader? That's thing four, right? Is this individual a leader? Well, that's something you kind of have to, kind of have to watch and, and make an assessment over, right? Um, he puts here in his book, he says, what do leaders need from a mentor? He says, I like what Tim Elmore, the founder and president of Growing Leaders, says about this. Tim is one of the emerging leaders that I helped more than 30 years ago. And he says, first I helped hold his ladder, then extend it. And now this guy goes on to be you know, a great leadership author. It's 356. We're doing good on time. He talks about handles, right? All good mentors put life lessons in a nutshell that is transferable. They, they put handles on their leadership. Laboratories. Good mentors provide a safe place where learners can practice the principles they're learning. Roadmaps. Show you how to get there, right? Roots. Good mentors provide learners with a solid relational foundation. It's huge to have a relationship with people that you're mentoring with. It says wings. Good mentors help people see new horizons and fly to places beyond where they imagine they could go. That's cool, right? That's kind of that 10X rule I'm reading, right? Pick something high and far and go for it. And then wise. John adds the wise. If you don't tell people why they're doing something, you just say, do this, do this, do this, but you never give them the why or the background, well, then it's really, really difficult for them to kind of jump on and, and make that happen, right? On the last page of this section, page 146, uh, he's got you know a whole page of text there, but I only, over here, highlighted the one in the last paragraph. And I want to share this with you. It says, you'll never regret investing in another leader who makes a positive difference in the world. Now, I get some messages. I get things that come through on the Manana Nomas Facebook page. I have the Manana Nomas Facebook group. If you're not on that, I encourage you to get in there. Sometimes we share some things that don't get to the page. Uh, the Manana Nomas website, manananomas.com. You know, click the contact link. Some people send me messages and they say, man, you know, your talk made an impact on me. And man, I fly on that for days. That's awesome. But whether people check in with me or not, when I look at a number and I say, well, that many people are watching this, there must be some benefit. There must be something that's happening. 
And so it says, you'll never regret investing in another leader who makes a positive difference in this world. And quite honestly, what I do at the end of these is I like to say a little prayer. I like to give people a chance to exit that aren't into that. Uh, and, and my prayer today is going to be, you know, if you have the desire to be a leader, that you find a way to make a positive impact. And, and that's that. So uh, we're at 358. Uh, for those of you that have stuck it out, that don't want to hang around for prayer time, uh, hey, it's been great. I'll see you on the next one. Uh, today's Tuesday. So Thursday at 3 o'clock, we'll do session 8. 8 is directing to connecting. Directing to connecting. That's the next level of this book. And, uh, and I'll see you Thursday at 3 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. And you guys have a great one. Uh, those of you that would like to stick around for a moment of prayer, I invite you to do so, and we'll close that out over the next minute or so. Okay, give them about 10 seconds to, to split and for me to get my caffeine. Okay, and let's reset this. All right. Father God, I thank you for bringing us to the end of another session in this great, great book. Um, Father, the book Leadership by John Maxwell has just jumped off the pages to me, and it's become something that uh, really resonates, not just, you know, tickles my brain, but Father, tickles my heart. And I thank you so much that you give us the ability to share ideas and philosophies and, and uh, higher level thinking concepts with other people. Father, I pray for those that may be putting in the time and having the bandwidth to focus on these meetings and these sessions and these masterminds, Father, and I, and I pray that if their mind is on leadership or they want to grow from a sense of leadership, Father, that, that you would help them to find a way to make a positive impact on those around them. Father, it's not about me. It's about you, and it's about the effect and the adding value to others uh, that they can do uh, after they get this information and implement that. Father, thank you for the time. Thank you for the wisdom. Thank you for the technology that makes this happen. Father, I pray for those affected by the COVID-19 virus. Uh, Father, whether it's a real thing or a fake thing or the news is lying or the news is true, I don't care. This isn't about politics, Father. This is about people that are affected by the circumstances. And Father, I pray that you would give people rest, that you would give them peace, that you would help them to find a purpose during this time, and that you would help people to find uh, their version of success, Father, whatever that is, uh, through these obstacles. And Father, in your Son's name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, um, thank you so much. And if you stick that out with the prayer time at the end, uh, I'm really thankful for that. Uh, people that know me in the real world, they might say, why is that guy praying? Uh, I've heard that guy drop some F-bombs. Um, I just think it's the right thing to do at the right time. And sometimes, like I just said, you got to do what you think is right and not what's convenient. And uh, I think we've got a big leadership void out there right now, and we have the ability uh, through our interactions with others, no matter how big or small the groups are that we're in, to make a positive impact, and that is my goal. So uh, if you're in power sports or marine and you need some training for your service advisors and service managers, please, please, please uh, refer your management to mananamas.com. That is my specialty, that's what I do. Uh, we've also got some personal development training available. We put a whole package together uh, during the COVID crisis for people stuck at home to try and make them more productive with the time that they're spending at home, especially if people are bored. I've got a couple of free courses that people can try, and then I've got a whole package where I put 10 courses together 
uh, with diet plans and personal fitness and, and goal setting and key performance indicators, all that stuff. I've got 10 courses crammed together for $89.95. It's good for half a year. So uh, that's my sales pitch for the day. I don't usually do that with the sessions, but I thought it was worth saying. And I hope you guys have a great day. Peace out. It is 4.02. We did an hour and two minutes today. Uh, have a blessed day. Be awesome. Keep doing what you're doing. According to the news, we've got seven or eight weeks of this stuff left minimum. So um, let's just keep going. Stay as positive as we can. All right. See you guys. I love y'all. Bye-bye.